Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Interview episode 1. Dario Pedrazzini. This is the start of a new segment of the podcast in which I'm going to interview local experts on Italian history. This time round, I'm going to interview Dario Pedrazzini. Dario has written a book on the Lombards, which you can see on the website, talking about the daily lives of the Lombards under King Rothery and his edict. He has a degree in antique history from the University of Bologna, one of the most antique universities in the world, and after some experience working in archaeology and with historical archives, he now works in historical reenactments, both regarding antique and modern history. He collaborates with the Res Bellica company that produces material and equipment for historical reenactments. You can look at their website at res-bellica.com. So thank you very much to Dario for dedicating some time to us for the interview and thanks to Res Bellica. I hope you enjoy the interview. Okay, Dario, so can we start by getting a general overview of the Lombards in Italy? Yes, uh, I think that uh, to understand the importance of the Lombards in the history of Italy, it's interesting to make a brief comparison between the reign of the Lombards and that of another Germanic people who settled in Italy, the Goths. Before the coming of the Lombards, the Goths ruled Italy for 60 years, but they had a very little or no influence on the everyday life of uh, Roman Italians because the Goths continued to consider themselves as uh, federati, that means allied troops of the Eastern Roman Empire. Therefore, they were very open to the influence of the Roman Christian culture. For example, the Gothic bishop Ulfilas developed the Gothic alphabet in order to translate the Bible from Greek to Gothic as early as the 4th century. Uh, Theoderic, king of the Goths, who in his youth lived for 10 years in Constantinople, ruled the peninsula with the status of Roman viceroy of Italy. On the contrary, the Lombards were very proud of their origin. They continued to keep their ancient German customs even in Italy. Their national culture remained in oral form until the Edict of King Rotary, when, for the first time, their traditional laws were fixed in a corpus of written laws. Lombard society was divided into three classes, comparable to those found in the other contemporary Germanic kingdoms. The noblemen uh, called Arimanni, a middle class of free people called Aldi, and the serfs. After the invasion led by King Alboin, the conquered territory was divided among the leaders of the most important tribal groups. These leaders were 
called dukes, term that derives from the Latin word dux, that means commander. The duchies were big, as big as a present Italian province. Having to occupy and control a territory inhabited by foreigners, the Lombards built fortified villages near the Roman cities and garrisons in the strategic points of the territory, like road intersection and close to the bridges. When the Lombards migrated in Italy and spread in the Italian territory, they killed the Roman Byzantine landlords and forced them to escape to Constantinople. Many Lombard warriors became the new landlords, taking the place of the Roman ones. Since the Lombards have settled in Italy, replacing the previous Roman ruling class and actually inheriting the late Roman economic system, the egalitarian warrior people turned in a socially stratified people who got his sustenance and wealth from the soil. Dario, what was the everyday life of a Lombard like? What could he expect to do from morning till evening? In the period of the conquest of Italy, the Lombards were still living in tribal groups called Fara. But uh, 70 years later, in the days of King Rotary, most of the Lombards warriors were already settled in farms or manors. But not everyone had found a place in the new reality in Italy. In the Edict of Rotary, we can find 130 articles of law concerning crimes against people, six articles of law concerning crimes against, against things, 105 articles concerning crimes against peaceful coexistence. This means that in the Lombard Kingdom there was a certain social instability and the king sought to remedy this situation. The basis of the economic life was the agriculture, but also crafts and commerce were active. Some Lombard crafts items were exported north of the Alps. In fact, we can say that the most important effect of the Lombard conquest has been to have taken away Italy from the East Roman Byzantine influence and finally put it among the nations of Western Europe. Not all the Italian natives were Aldi or serfs. In fact, most of the intellectuals were Italian, like notaries, diplomats, teachers. We know that even at court, the king had collaborators of Italian origin. They served for the bureaucratic management of the kingdom. In the first decades after the conquest of Italy, the hostility and mistrust between Lombards and Romano-Italians was going down and gradually an integration was reached between the two ethnic elements that formed the kingdom. And uh, Dario, when I think about history sometimes, I like to imagine, you know, what, what it was like to, to live there. So what about something like food? What, what did they eat? The Roman food tradition was based essentially on wheat, oil and wine. The Romans considered the binge of meat and excessive drinking a typical trait of the barbarian peoples. 
meat was food consume, consumed especially in particular situations such as during religious festivals or during parties. The wine was never drunk straightforward but always stretched with water. The diet uh, of the Germanic people was completely different from that uh, of the Mediterranean peoples. It was essentially based on meat, lard and butter, namely on the exploitation of the uncultivated land, that is, areas occupied by woods, moors and marshes. In King Rotary's times, the economy was mostly self-sufficient and agriculture was not longer the main food source, supplanted by silvopastoral activities and hunting. The pig was the main domestic animal, bred for his meat. Among the cereals, the Germanic peoples used to eat oat and barley, which they used also to produce the beer. But after the Germanic peoples had come into contact with the Roman world, their aristocracies preferred to drink wine, leaving the beer to the poorer social classes. In the Edict of Rotary and in other contemporary documents, there is no mention of the production of beer, while instead several articles of the Edict are dedicated to the protection of the vineyard. And what about language, Dario? What language would we expect to hear if we were walking around the streets of a Lombard city? Uh, yes, um, we can say that as an extinct language, without having developed its own written tradition, it is very difficult to classify the Lombard language in a precise way. But from the analysis of the phonetics of the words left, we can suppose with some certainty that Lombard belonged to the Western branch of, the, of Germanic uh, languages, like Anglo-Saxon and Old German. The Lombards were a minority of the inhabitants of Italy, and they had to rule a country where the majority of the people spoke Latin, so they had to adapt themselves to speak the local language. At the time of King Rotary, only the elders remembered and still could speak their national language fluently. Just during the Lombard reign, the classical Latin began to decline. At the time of the conquest, the Roman senators and noblemen fled, and this determined the collapse of the classical Greco-Roman education and culture. By then, the late Latin spoken by the population was becoming the archaic Italian. Now, uh, during the podcast episode, we uh, spoke a little bit about money and coins and I had a little bit of difficulty understanding sort of the value of things. So how much would things cost? In the first decades after the conquest of Italy, the Lombards simply used the Roman coins in circulations. At that time, the solidus was the main gold currency introduced by the Emperor Constantine, and it had a weight of four grams and a half. Its fractions were the semisis, half a solidus, and the tremissis, one-third of a solidus. Other smaller fragments of the solidus were coined in silver and copper. At the end of the 6th 
century, the Lombards began to coin their own ur coins that were an imitation of the contemporary East Roman Byzantine coinage. At that time, the food for a month costed one solidus. A shield and a spear costed two solidi, as much as a cow. A helmet costed six solidi. One sword with his scabbard costed seven solidi. One horse costed ten solidi. From this list, we can see the importance attributed to the horse in that warrior society. Several articles of the Edict of Rotary concern its protection and provide rather severe pecuniary penalties for those who cause his damage, evidently not just because of the material damage, but also because damaging a horse meant offending the prestige of the owner that was a member of the warrior class. Okay, and uh, one last question, Dario. Um, what would these Lombards look like? How did they dress? The traditional garments of the Lombard man were loose and mostly li- linen, such as those of the contemporary Anglo-Saxons. They, they consisted of a tunic ornamented with broad borders woven in various colors and large trousers. Their shoes were open almost up to the tip of the great toe and uh, were held on by shoe latchets interlacing alternately. But later the Lombard warriors began to wear tight trousers in Roman Byzantine fashion over which they put leggings of shaggy woolen cloth when they rode. They had taken this last custom from the Roman Byzantine cavalry. Above the tunic, especially in the winter season, they wore a cloak closed on the right shoulder by one or more brooches. About the hair, they used to shave the neck and leave it bare up to the back of the head having their hair hanging down on the face as far as the mouth and parting it on either side by a part in the forehead. For the Arimanni, this hairstyle was a hallmark of their class and their origin. The traditional costume of the Lombard women was originally made up of a shirt closed on the chest or on the shoulder by two small S-shaped brooches, and a skirt closed by two fibular bracelets, both tightened at the waist by a belt. A small leather bag containing amulets, a comb, a small knife, tweezers and other everyday objects was attached to the belt by means of a strip of leather. But since the establishment of the Lombards in Italy, women's fashion, unlike the men's, was strongly influenced by that of the Roman Byzantine women, so much that at the time of King Rotary, Lombard women were dressed just like the Roman Byzantine ones. This means a tunic long below the knees with long sleeves and tightened at the waist by a belt, on which a cloak was worn, closed at the center of the chest by a disc-shaped brooch, generally in gold, and earrings in Roman Byzantine fashion. Well, Dario, that was all very interesting, and I, I really love, as I said, to get a perspective of 
what people would look like and what they would eat, and then not only the great kings and the great dates, but you know what normal people were doing. So thank you very much for coming on the show, Dario. Thank you, Mike. Well, hello again, folks. I hope you found that interview interesting. As always, you can get in touch with us and perhaps let us know if you want to hear more of these interview episodes at hello at historyofitaly dot com. At the same URL, you can find our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, as well as links to see the reading materials, including the book by today's guest, Dario Pedrazzini. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And as always, thank you for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media Hey podcast producers and show hosts, do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.